Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us. We are, as always, so thankful and so blessed to have you with us on this Thursday morning. We are also very excited because kind of a recent theme of our, you know, introductions for our episodes, we have another true crime update. And we're so excited because it is an update involving a case that we've covered. Yeah, so back on little throwback moment to episode 57, The Murders of Laura Kempton and Tammy Little, there was a press conference pretty recently from the time that we are here recording this episode for you guys, and there was a massive break in the case. Like, they solved it. Truly. Yeah. Which is, well, they solved Laura Kempton's murder. Tammy Little, like you just said in the title, was also someone connected to Laura Kempton's murder, like perhaps another case where maybe it was the same murderer. But they just announced in a press conference that they found the man who killed Laura Kempton, which was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in 1981. Which, that is so, that's 40 years ago. And they solved it. And I didn't have a chance to listen back to our episode and, like, really dive into who we thought was a suspect. I don't think we named anyone specifically. No, we didn't name anyone. We just had a lot of theories, especially because the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard at that time was popping. Like, it was, I think, triple the size it is now or something crazy. Yeah. So there were a lot of people coming on boats, maybe not from the area. So we Mm -hmm. were thinking, you know, maybe a perfect opportunity for someone to cause havoc in the area and then Mm -hmm. hop back on a boat and not be easily tied to it. Right. But Laura Kempton's killer, his name is Ronnie James Lee. He was 21 at the time. Which she was too, right? Or she was 20. She was also super young. Yeah, Laura was only 23. Ugh. Ronnie James Lee actually lived and worked in Portsmouth at the time. The police working to solve the case said there was no indication that he even really knew who Laura was. They weren't friends. They weren't acquainted. Right. He served in the army until May 15th, 1981. Then he was actually working at Liberty Mutual oh. in Portsmouth. Huh. So he was right there. Yeah. And I remember we theorized like, oh, maybe it was someone who was posing as like a photographer for modeling because she was recently trying to get into modeling or like maybe he was a... Uh, Somebody who did maintenance for the Portsmouth Beauty School that she was attending. Things like that. We just were kind of speculating, and then it turns out he wasn't any of that. It really seems very random. Yeah, and it was so crazy, too, because the reason we covered Laura Kempton with Tammy Little Mm -hmm. is because the similarities between not only the two girls themselves, Mm -hmm. but their murders... It was so similar, and they were both in Portsmouth. They both were students at the Portsmouth Beauty School. Yeah. They were both kind of, you know, we read somewhere that they were both into modeling. Right. They were both kind of hanging out at the same locations. Mm-hmm. And just the murder, they were murdered, stabbed to death, I believe, or beaten to death Very inside similar. their apartments. Yeah. yeah, but I guess this Lee character is not even related to Tammy Little, and unfortunately, February 9th, 2005, he was only 45 years old, he... OD'd on cocaine and died. Yeah. So while I'm very happy that he died because he's a piece of shit, it's so, so unfair that he didn't have to serve any time for murdering Laura. Just terrible. And it's so interesting, too, because as I was watching the press conference, I was like, are they going to talk about Tammy Little? And somebody did in the audience ask about her, and they said we can't comment on that at this time. Does that mean maybe they're 
working on confirming his DNA with Tammy Little? Maybe. It could also mean nothing at all. Yeah. So that's a total bummer in that regard, because of course we'd like to see her case solved too. We can only hope, which again, hope is such an awful word for this, that they can confirm that maybe Ronnie Lee, he did kill her as well. So then both of these families can have justice. It'd be really surprising to me if they weren't connected. I know. It's crazy. Like their similarities are just shocking. Yeah. And for 40 years, people have connected them. So who knows? We'll have to see where that goes, but it's just awful. Yeah, but really cool to see that solved in our lifetime. I only hope that Tammy Little's case can follow. Right. They're both beautiful young ladies, you know, and they were both talented, going through beauty school, beautiful women, and it's just so unfortunate. And the worst part, too, that always stuck with me, that Laura's murder, she was found by a police officer because he was going to serve her, like, an unpaid parking ticket or something, and he got to her apartment and her door was, like, ajar. And she lived on a ground floor apartment and they were like, um, so that's awful. Like how, ugh. like he really was just expecting to give a ticket and then he ended up finding a murdered body. Like how awful. Yeah. And people actually, I remember someone wrote into us and said, has anyone looked into the police officer? Right. Like, do we think that he's suspicious? Right. No, so that's, I guess not crazy. Yeah. But it's so, it's such good news that, you know. Finally, there are answers for her murder and her family can get to kind of take a deep breath. Again, it sucks that they can't like confront her murderer, but man, what a, what a good day for local true crime. Yeah. A lot of these things we love to see all these updates. There have been a ton lately, just even within the last year, you Mm -hmm. know, it's awesome. And I think it's just going to get quicker and quicker and more often which is great. We love giving these updates. Hell yeah. So if you guys happen to want to listen to that case and kind of rehash the facts, episode 57, right after our one year anniversary. So last summertime, but man, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember I was frantically texting you because yeah. you were working. I was like, Katie, the press conference is going to start soon. You must've been busy, which is fine. Yeah. I literally was with a patient. Yeah. I was like, okay, hold on one second. Yes. <laughs> You could just hear me ding, ding, like in your pocket. But I, I was like, okay, Katie, they're starting the press conference. Oh my God, Katie, they know who did it. Oh, like, and this is all in caps. And it's like, his name was this. Oh, he died already. They're not saying anything about Tammy. Oh, somebody just asked about Tammy. Like, <laughs> I was giving her live updates. It was very fascinating. I, I really like being able to watch these press conferences, you know, because it's very, it's like one way to kind of feel like you were there. You know? Yeah. I will never forget when we were both, we were headed to when we were on the radio and we pulled into just a random parking lot right in time for the press conference Mm -hmm. of the Lady of the Dunes. Yes. And we were like grabbing each other. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was so great. (laughs) Just, oh, wow. It's really incredible to watch these cases be solved, you guys. Like, let's go. I know. Maybe they can go down the line of all of the episodes we've done that are unsolved. Like, Maura Murray, Mur- let's Start go. with there. Let's just, right off the top, find out what happened to Maura Murray. And honestly, nothing else matters. <laughs> That's, like, such a big case. But it's, it's you know, good news for Laura Kempton's family. Well-deserved, you know, but tragic all around. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of good news, Katie, I believe you have... Some for us. Yes. Ever so briefly, some positive before we get right back into the negative. (laughs) 
Bossy and Lion the Cats. I love those names. I do too. And their lovely owner, Jacqueline L., bought us three coffees. So a coffee from each of them. Oh, cute. Thank you, guys. That's so nice. Thank you very much. Jacqueline, give Bossy and Lion extra pets and extra treats for us, please. Yes, please. And the case we have today was suggested to us by two people, Mary G. and Maddie L., both via our website submission tool. Maddie L. happens to be my cousin. So thanks, Maddie. This is one case that I actually have been asked about specifically by Maddie and her two sisters, Grace and Anna, for a while. So I'm excited to get into it. I hadn't really done a lot of work or like researching into the case i just knew the basics of it so it was interesting to go in and be like oh that happened like right nearby and like while i lived nearby as well yeah the parking lot where this took place i learned how to drive in that's crazy which is wild yeah Yeah. the small town connections like that really blow your mind it's nuts and without further ado today we will be covering the The murder Murder of of Catherine hepner Katie, what do you have for your sources today? I know I have a ton. I have a lot, too, I feel like. I have information from WMUR, L-O-H-U-D.com. I'm not going to go ahead and try to figure out how that is pronounced. Oh. Seacoastonline.com, People.com, Foster's Daily Democrat, and LawandCrime.com. Nice. I had an article from Law and Crime. I also had an article from a Bramson, Brown, and Dugan attorneys, which was the law firm that defended the killer in this mm-hmm. story. I also had an article from Foster's Daily Democrat, Concord Monitor, two articles from the Portsmouth Herald, an article from Seacoast Online, and I had an obituary from Legacy.com. Katie, would you mind telling us about our victim? I would not mind at all. Great. Catherine Cassie Hepner was born in Katona, New York on March 2nd, 1973. In her obituary, her family wrote that, quote, she may not have been the tallest person in the room, but she had the biggest heart and personality. Cassie loved going up to Sunday River in Maine to ski with her husband, Mike, and eight-year-old son, Jack. And in the summer, she would go wakeboarding at the lake. And she was just, you know, fun, athletic. Mm -hmm. She was president of her high school class captain of both the field hockey and lacrosse teams and she went to university of new hampshire so she's athletic she's brilliant yeah yeah her family stated quote we want everyone to remember cassie as someone who loved life loved laughter and most of all loved her family and friends immensely yeah she was so i always have respect for women who have the time to be well educated have a family and also have fun like she grew up in new york so she was a yankees fan Um, Okay, understandable. But she always would go to games and wear a Red Sox jersey, which I thought was very bold. Because if any of you like baseball, like I love the Red Sox. I listen or watch as much as I can. But being a Yankees fan is like, boo, how dare you? The fact that she was wearing a Red Sox jersey, that kind of makes it a little like, okay, wait a second. I think we can let this pass. Like, how fun is that? And she also... All of the words described in these articles and her obituary were so positive. Infectious spirit that touched anyone in her presence is what somebody said. Another person states that she had the potential to lead the company's global market operation in the future. Like she was brilliant. 
Fun fact, the reason why this case was recommended to us by my cousin is because my uncle, my Uncle Jay, worked for Timberland. He actually worked there twice for two different periods of time, and he knew Cassie very well. So when she was murdered, it obviously, it struck the whole community, it struck Mm -hmm. the whole company, but it also struck him because he knew her. And my cousins at the time, they lived very close, like one of the only ways you could get to the Timberland um, Industrial Park. And so they remember that day, they were like, why are there so many cars, police, why are there so many police cars and like sirens going right past us? Like what happened? And it turns out it was, you know, somebody that their father knew was murdered at wow. their, like at her place of work. It's a lot of terrible stuff, but by all accounts, she was a wonderful woman and she had so much more potential ahead of her in her life. Cause she really wasn't old, you know, like she was 46 when she died. She, her son was in elementary school. Yeah. The same elementary school I went to, which also like that blows my mind for some reason. So it's like, oh my God, so much was lost. And she's truly like, I know a lot of people say, and there's a running joke, oh yeah, on a true crime podcast, you know, the victim lit up the room. (laughs) She had everybody, her smile just lit up the sky and all this, like, this woman truly is the embodiment of that. Like, we're not just saying that to say that. So many people Mm -hmm. said this woman was the salt of the earth. Yeah, she was great. So it really... It's always unfortunate when someone is murdered, but it just seems like by all accounts, it really struck so many people. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. On Sunday, February 9th, 2020, which is very recent. Yeah. Cassie stopped by the Timberland Company headquarters in Stratham, New Hampshire, where she worked as their director of marketing to grab a few things ahead of a business trip she was going on the next day. She'd been with the company for five years. She loved her job. And it was described as a job where her coworkers were more like her good friends. Like, yes, they worked together, but it seemed like the job itself brought everybody together under circumstance. Sure. And they'd hang out. Everybody got along with everybody. It was a really good situation where they had a lot of rapport, Mm -hmm. a good working relationship. And she really enjoyed her job. And I think it allowed her to really succeed and climb the ranks. Of course, she's a boss-ass bitch. She's doing it all, raising a kid along the way. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed like a really good job for her, and it was a really good fit. Yeah, absolutely. And she had been with the company, I think, something like 13 years. She was there for a while. So she, it was, you know, it was her career. And she was very successful, and she was, like you said, her colleagues were her friends. And it, she was in a good place in her life, it sounds like. So... The fact that she went in, you know, it was her day off. What are the chances, you know? And then to have this happen is just so unexpected. During what was supposed to be her short stop into the office, a security guard, 20-year-old Robert Paveo, followed Cassie into a storage room. You know, she was there. Nobody was at the building that day except for security. The security was hired to work the whole park. So there was also, like, lint chocolate factory, like, in the same you know, industrial park. So she asked Robert, the security guard, whoever was there to help her, you know, unlock doors for her because nobody was there, but she needed to get these items or whatever. So it was like, and he was a security guard. So that's great. She's protected. You know, she's alone in the building, whatever. Until she wasn't protected. Robert was seen on video surveillance footage unlocking the door to the storage room for Cassie at 3.20 p.m. before following her inside. 
The video footage showed Robert conversing with Cassie. It seemed like it was a friendly conversation, probably just small talk. Yeah. Like, oh, why are you here on a Sunday? That's, yeah. what are you doing here? Oh, what are you grabbing? That's so interesting. And mm-hmm. she's probably telling him about her business trip the next day. Right. Just maybe the weather was nice. Yeah. You know, making pleasant small talk. Right. The video footage showed Cassie, you know, bopping around, getting what she needed. And it also showed Robert walking in and out of the room several times, Mm -hmm. maybe checking the hallway, doing his job, but also more of like a nervous pacing energy. It was a little excessive. It really was a short amount of time that they were in this closet. I mean, she only really had to grab a couple things. Right. So the amount of time reflected in the video surveillance footage where he was out in the hallway, back in the room, out in the hallway, back in the room, it was a very nervous. Yes. Energy. And I would say almost too, it sounded like to me when he, like reading it, maybe at first he was bored, you know, walking back and forth, like just waiting for her to, you know, go in. But then the way he started like pacing, seeming nervous, and then the going in and out, I didn't think she needed help, you know, gathering that stuff. And in her email, she sent a whole list of what she was going to grab, whatever. It's, and like you said, it wasn't a whole bunch of time in between when they got there and when this event happened, but it seemed like it was, he started to maybe work up to it after getting bored or something in him snapped where he decided he was going to do what he did. Robert walked back into the storage room towards Cassie, who was out of view of the camera, and then he went out of the view of the camera. After several minutes, the camera stopped recording because it was motion activated. After several more minutes had gone by, Robert came back into view of the camera, leaving the room at 3.42 p.m., there was blood visible on his left hand. Can you imagine watching that footage? Oh, that's so scary. And it wasn't... From the time of the murder, from the time of them getting there, it was not very long at all. What, like 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 minutes for him to let her in, and then he's pacing, bored, nervous, whatever, to kill her, finish killing her, and then walk out all in 20 minutes? Holy shit. That makes me start to believe that maybe he saw it very quickly as an opportunity and he immediately jumped on it. For sure. Because it's a Sunday. Who else is going to be there? Right. Not to say this is terrible, but he probably could have taken his time. You know, like there was nobody there. So it's really interesting how quickly, like it seemed very impulsive just by the timeline. Mm -hmm. He then made a phone call to his mother at 4.13 p.m. and then called 911 a total of 10 times. Ten times. That's crazy. Which, can you imagine the call log? Just 911 calls in general, Mm. I think, from the perpetrator calling to essentially turn themselves in. They're so creepy. It's terrifying. But ten times, again, that nervous energy, that very rapid, you know, I wonder almost like a manic kind of state. That's crazy. Ten times. Did you happen to find, like, what was the, like, was he just hanging up immediately and then calling back? Was he saying anything? I have no idea. Right? It makes you wonder, like, what was he... Why did he call so many times? Yeah. And police got there at 4.30. So, again, that's not a whole lot of time between calling 911 and the police getting there. Right. So, I'm wondering if the calls were very abrupt. Right. And you know what's so interesting, too, is, like you said, at 3.42, he's seen coming out of the storage room. And then he calls his mom at 4.13. That's half an hour later. What is he doing? It took him from the moment she got there to murdering her 22 minutes or whatever. But then it took him a half hour to call before he made his next move. What was he doing? 
was he washing his hands or his clothes? Like, you know, it's so bizarre. And it's so awful, too, because he called his mom, like, and I hate this. He's 20. Clearly, he had a whole bunch of problems. But his first instinct, something goes wrong, he calls his mommy. Like, that's hard to hear. And how, like, how awful being his mom hearing that because he called her and he said that he, quote, hurt someone at work. And I mean, as his mother, what do you, how terrifying is that? Be like, what do you mean, Robert? Like, what do you mean you hurt someone at work? You're a security guard. Did you have to use force? You know, like you can only speculate what she was probably thinking at that moment. And then for him to immediately call the police 10 times and say that, he, you know, there he reported there was a stabbing, which was true. But he didn't report that it was him, mm-hmm. which is interesting because obviously he's like in a way turning himself in. Right. And he didn't run away. No. He wasn't like there was a stabbing here. Oh, no, this is so much blood. Yeah. And then get in his car and drive. Out. Like he stayed there. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. When police arrived, they found Cassie's body in the storage room where she had been left. She had been stabbed multiple multiple times and notably there were also defensive wounds on her hands quote indicating that she was aware of what was happening and attempted to defend herself that's heartbreaking which is so shitty yeah police asked robert if he was the one who had stabbed her and he stated quote i don't know which to me is like just say yes, buddy. Like, I don't know equals yes. Yeah, you don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You know exactly. Right. And he claimed on the phone with his mom that he, quote, blacked out. But, I mean, blacked out for seven minutes and then regained his, con- you know, it's very suspicious. Yeah, fuck off with the blacking out thing. I hate when they use that as an excuse. Like, that's right. a legitimate thing that happens to people. Yes. Not everybody blacks out and then they wake up and there's blood on their hands and... <laughs> Oh, God, what did I do? Yeah. Oh, darn, I think I may have killed someone. I can't remember. Bullshit. Yeah. No fucking way. Absolutely not. And as a result, I mean, you can think if he looked pretty guilty, they were able to find the footage probably very fast. He was arrested pretty much immediately after police came and he was taken into state custody. So... We are lucky to know a little bit of info about Robert. And I hate talking about the killer more than the victim. We know a little bit about Cassie, which is great. And we know a little bit about Robert. And I think it kind of sets us up for understanding what was going on in his brain. Which is to say that we don't understand. Because he was um, not a very good person. So at the time of this murder, Robert was only 20 years old. He was a recent hire with the company Securitas, which was the company that managed the security officers around the industrial park. So Robert was from Berwick, Maine, which is not very far at all from the border. Like it's just across from Portsmouth, Dover. It's very near. From Portland, it's like 45 minutes. From where you live, Katie, it's like 10, 15. It's very close. So he was from there. And apparently, according to sources, he had a brutal childhood. And that started out by being abandoned by his biological parents at a very young age, which, yes, is very traumatizing. It's also alleged that Robert had suffered from learning disabilities, social delays, and intense anger towards his birth parents, specifically his birth mother. So that kind of indicates that he probably didn't like women very much. He also supposedly had a, quote, complicated sexual identity, which 
probably promoted more trouble like in his youth we often know like serial killers are famous cases where like jeffrey Dahmer per se he hated that he was gay you know and all of his victims were men he hated it hated that he was gay so he killed and used his sexuality as his you know part of his motivation i think maybe perhaps robert just had a lot of anger towards women at this Mm -hmm. point. And maybe it was just bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And he saw an opportunity at the time of the murder. Robert had only been working as a security guard for four months. So he was still very new, like just off. I would imagine of not being like supervised or training. Yeah. Right. I feel like you should have a lot of training if you're going to be a security guard. At least that's what my gut tells me. And after the details of the murder was released, it was revealed that Robert had appeared strange to his coworkers before. This wasn't something, his behavior wasn't normal often. Apparently, there is surveillance footage that shows Robert acting, quote, in a very bizarre manner on more than one occasion. So the murder happens, and they find this out, and they're like, hmm, why was he still hired there for so long? And as we get into the trial, you know... And the information of his arrest, we find that this wasn't, he had a whole bunch of red flags and none of them were really reported on, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because he sounds like a very manic, volatile person. Right. Like something is not correct upstairs. I'm sorry. To kill a person, we know that. Right. But it sounds like leading up to that, if they have him on video at work. Yeah. While on the clock, while being paid, they have him on video footage acting bizarrely. I would love to know what he was doing. Right. Me too. And, you know, they said with it all being reviewed, it kind of began to be a concern as to whether the whole time he worked there, was he suitable for the job? Was he psychologically stable enough for the job? And also, you know, it was noted by his coworkers and his family and friends that he had an antisocial personality and quote, significant anxiety, which for a security guard, you don't want that. You don't want a security guard who's really anxious and like not ready to jump in and help when needed. Right. And what did he have on his person? Like, what kind of a security detail was this? Was he armed? Did he have a taser? Did he have pepper spray? Did he have handcuffs? Like, what did he have on him that he was just waltzing around with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, what did he stab her with? We don't know. We don't know. Did he have a knife? If so, I doubt it was part of his work uniform, because I don't think they carry knives. But still, like, what did he use to stab her with? Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting and a lot of questions that are unanswered unfortunately still just i mean a lot for the how recent it was and also for like the details of what came out when he was sentenced because he didn't have a trial so it's very you know it's wishy-washy but what we do know is that he clearly was not fit for this job Mm -hmm. Robert was arrested, of course, and charged with two counts of second-degree murder, and the little shit actually pled not guilty to those initial charges the next day. Which, to be so bold, when there's literally... And people who kill will try anything mm-hmm. to not get charged. And there will literally be footage played in front of them of them murdering, and they're like, what? Photoshop. You know? Like, it's ridiculous. Not guilty, my ass. In September of 2020, Robert was indicted on charges of murder in the first and second degrees by a New Hampshire grand jury. 
The first-degree murder charge came from an allegation that Robert killed Cassie while attempting felonious sexual assault. Mm. Which we don't know if there was evidence of sexual assault. I hope to God there was not. Yeah. I'm not surprised that whether it was confirmed or denied that she was sexually assaulted or not, I'm not surprised that information was withheld. Mm -hmm. You know, her son was eight years old at this time. He's old enough to understand and know and read and absorb this information. So I think the lack of information, it's still awful. We know that she was stabbed and murdered, of course. But I think the lack of information around the details is probably somewhat of a blessing to keep from her son. Yeah. On November 3rd, 2021, Robert pled guilty as part of a plea deal and was sentenced to 55 years to life for the second-degree murder of Cassie Hebner. His attorney read a statement that Robert wrote, stating, I am sorry from all my soul for taking away one of your loved ones. I can't imagine losing a sister, a mother, or a wife, and I hope my sentence will bring some closure to you. Which is, I mean, A, having your lawyer speak for you. Bomp, bomp. I don't like that very much. Like, be a man. You know, also speaking of his sentence, like you said, he was sentenced 55 years to life, but then there was like a little asterisk on it, which said with five years deferred for 20 years on certain conditions. So I looked into it and what those conditions were. And there actually, I found a document which listed that. So these conditions included 10 months suspended for the quote, successful completion of an associate's degree or 20 months suspended for the quote successful completion of 10 vocational programs. So that made, that was very interesting to me. Like, oh, they want to maybe try and like get him educated. Maybe they recognized his intellectual disabilities and were like, maybe he can improve himself. I don't know. Also, an additional two and a half years would be suspended only if Robert didn't commit any more federal or state crimes and also had no major disciplinary actions while he was in jail. So I really think they were trying to, like, give him, hand him a bone, you know, and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. you act well, you educate yourself, you know, maybe giving him goals and rewards. Maybe that's the kind of thing that he thrived on. You know, like we said, he's intellectually disabled. He has some learning disabilities. Maybe for him, they thought that would work, you know? And you know what's so great about, and great, of course, is a a blanket term because none of this is great. But even though he didn't have a trial because he pled guilty, he did have that sentencing hearing. And it's amazing because several of Cassie's friends and family were allowed to talk and give witness statements directly to Robert and really make him feel and understand what he did. And there were some beautiful things said to his face that just made me feel like, yes, tell him, make him remember these words. Cassie's brother, Brian, spoke and said something extremely eye-opening, at least to me. He said, quote, After Cassie's death, her killer called his mother, something that most people want to do during our most challenging times. For Cassie's son, Jack, he'll never get to call his mother when he needs her most. I know. Chills. And it's so, because again, he's eight, nine during this trial. That's, you're going to need your mom the most for the next, like, ten years. That's like the most pivotal mom-needing time, you know? Of course. So that's heartbreaking. Cassie's sister-in-law spoke on behalf of Michael, her husband, and Jack, her son. She said that Jack, quote, wanted Robert to spend the rest of his life in jail so he couldn't hurt anyone else. I know. And then Jack also said, again, read by his aunt, that he missed hiking with his mom, and he also missed walking down to the Sea Dog for dinner every Monday night. 
which the Sea Dog is a restaurant that's in Exeter. I, there's a few of them around. There's one in Portland, like they're around, but that was just their Monday tradition. And he already was like, I miss that. I, you know, he lost something so precious. Routine is just one of the things he lost when he lost his mom. That's so sad. I know. And the fact too, that he was speaking for other people, like we have to put this guy away so he doesn't hurt anybody else. Like, mm-hmm. having that amount of empathy mm-hmm. as a little kid. Like, that's such a little kid thing to have in your heart. But to express that, like, yeah. we need to put him away so he doesn't hurt anybody else. Yeah. So he doesn't take away someone else's mom or someone else's right. loved one or put someone through what I'm going through. Right. Like, that's that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Like you said, Katie, his lawyer did read a statement from him, which, again, I think is a little bit of a pussy-ass move. But that's neither mm-hmm. here nor there. He said the following, the thought I've had the most, if I could go back and change it, or I should have just stayed home that day, I'm sorry for all of my soul for taking away one of your loved ones. And to me, that sounded like it kind of shows the intellectual level of Robert because it was grammatically, I read it as it was, it was, and so did his lawyer, grammatically not super well written and kind of like very blanket statement, very simple, which maybe was on purpose, but it was just very... I'm sorry for all my soul. That doesn't really make sense, you know? Like, if I could go back and change it, or I should have just stayed home that day. Like, it just doesn't... So I thought, you know, he really just... Maybe he couldn't even, like, really articulate very well, just given his mental status and his disability. But, you know... The judge presiding over the case, Daniel St. Hilaire, he told Robert he wanted him to remember the words that Cassie's family said to him for the rest of his life. Which, yes, we all do, because fuck you, man. This guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, sit there, rot in prison, and think about what you've done for the decades to come. Yeah, in 55 years, he will be 70 when he's eligible for parole. Like, that is not... You still have time to live after that. I hate to say it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's unfortunate. Cassie's husband, Michael Cormier, filed a lawsuit against Security Services, the security subcontractor that hired Robert. Say that three times fast. Yeah. The suit stated that the company hired Robert negligently without any care for red flags around his mental health. The suit also stated that Robert killed Cassie, quote, when he was supposed to be protecting her. Right. Cassie Hepner was living the life about which she had always dreamed. She was a happily married wife. She was a doting mother to her cherished eight-year-old son. She was already a vice president and a rising star at an established international corporation. She was universally beloved by her family, friends, and colleagues, and she is now dead because the defendants allowed a profoundly troubled young man, Robert Paveo, with zero security experience and no real professional experience of any kind, to work unsupervised as a security guard at Cassie's private, isolated office. Yeah. There was a lot. This lawsuit was very profound because while it essentially just took the hand book from this company and like read and like highlighted what they did wrong or like went against what they said that they would enforce. Mm-hmm. It really made a lot of good points truly. Cause they missed a lot of things about Robert. They were clearly red flags. Of course, in response to the lawsuit, Securitas said no responsibility. We claim no responsibility. It is not our fault that he murdered Cassie. We are not liable. 
And they denied ever cutting corners when it came to hiring Robert, which I think as we kind of go through the details, it's very obvious that they did or that they just simply did not care or even really look into it that much. They claimed that they had never received any information that told them that Robert was mentally ill or that he used drugs. They also claimed that for the duration of his employment, none of his co-workers had any troubling information about him or any complaints, which, okay, maybe, but it's only because they didn't formally submit them. We have evidence of several things that his co-workers were like, this guy's weird. For example... He was initially supervised and he was training. He was with another security guard. There was a report from this supervising security guard that alleged that Robert had asked if Timberland's cameras had the ability to record audio. And when the supervising guard was like, I don't know if they do, Robert said, and I quote, if they see me on camera, they will see me screaming. What does that mean? That's terrifying. The guard believed that maybe this was a statement made by Robert because he, like, previously had, like, a breakdown at work and was, like, crying or, like, screaming and, like, frustrated. He said he thought it was a serious red flag. Did he report it? No. He also said, this security guard, that Robert had smoked marijuana at work and he also abused drugs such as mushrooms and LSD. Again, this supervising security guard, he didn't report it. So when Securitas was like, yeah, we don't have any formal complaints, maybe they didn't, but there were some that people saw. So they always love to do that. Like, we don't have anything on record. Right. Okay, well, did you talk to your right employees? <laughs> right. Like, maybe ask your employees why they felt as though they couldn't come forward if that was the case. True. That's a good point. The lawsuit also pointed out that there was a written contract between Timberland and Securitas, which stated all security guards that were assigned to work would be fully trained and undergo drug testing. And the lawsuit also points out that the company that hired Robert didn't contact any of his personal references, which is a red flag, and they actually never had him drug tested. And listen, I'm who cares about marijuana? Like, literally doesn't matter. Don't do it while you work, obviously. But, like, on the outs, like, who cares? LSD and mushrooms, yes, that's not good. That is really not good. And who knows? He could have been abusing other drugs. Not drug testing someone upon hiring is definitely not a good move. And the fact that they said that they were going to and then didn't, okay, that's kind of minus a point for this company. Yeah. It also points out that Robert had worked... 57 unsupervised shifts after his initial training and that this was still allowed despite his previous displays of antisocial behavior and extreme anxiety, like I said before. So there's just a whole bunch of red flags. And it's funny because they're like, oh, there's a whole bunch of red flags about Robert. So why are you coming towards us? And it's like, Securitas, you didn't do anything. He was wearing your uniform Literally. on your payroll mm -hmm. on the clock. Mm-hmm. When he committed a murder. Yes. Don't you think they're going to look into you, bro? Don't you think as the hiring company, you should have done what you state in your policies mm -hmm. upon hiring this person? Mm -hmm. Right. They made this lawsuit really just going through the handbook. And the lawsuit counters, you know, saying he didn't wasn't drug tested, blah, 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 that the handbook said in the rules that using substances while on the clock was a fireable offense and that all employees should report things that they find even mildly suspicious, which this coworker didn't. 
is that his fault and should he be held accountable in, you know, terms of the the company? You know, it's such a gray area, but like they should the company that was being sued was trying to use that as like their most like he didn't report it. What are we supposed to do? Right, and it's like if I were working with the guy who I knew was bizarre and crazy and told me that he goes into, I don't know, maybe an empty office or a supply closet and screams, <laughs> I don't think I'd report the guy either because what if he comes at me? I don't know. He's bizarre. I don't know what he's capable of. Right. Like if he's screaming and he's worried about them catching him on camera and on audio just I don't know, having an outburst and screaming. Right. I probably wouldn't want to report the dude either. Right. Right. It and you know that's and we've I've had coworkers before and I'm sure you have too Katie where and I can think of one specifically from like I worked at a hospital kitchen or like PetSmart where there was one guy that was really you know like awkward or like get got angry a lot or like kind of scared us and I would always make sure I was really nice to them in case they came in with a gun like that's the kind of person it sounds like Robert was absolutely and I mean he did kill someone, so I guess that work, you know, makes sense. But we've all had, or like classmates in high school or whatever, where we're like, he's gonna come in and he's gonna shoot up the school, which is a terrible thing to say, but it's true. It's 2023, when obviously right now, this took place in 2020. That's right. not that far off. Right. Yeah. We all have had those experiences, truly. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you guys listening, that no, not me. Look around. Yeah, like, think again. We've all been there. We've all been there. And interestingly enough, the lawsuit also named a different company from North Carolina called Cadient, which was used by the company that hired Robert to provide an online assessment to help the company properly screen candidates for the job. Supposedly, Robert passed with flying colors, which I don't know how. Maybe he lied. I mean, people do that all the time. And then the lawsuit... You know, the company ended with saying, like, Robert's behaviors and actions were beyond the course and the scope of his employment and therefore could most certainly not be blamed upon Securitas. And then it, of course, concludes with denying the responsibility for Cassie's death. Unfortunately, at this time, there are no results of the lawsuit. We're not sure what happened or if anything has been definitively decided. I mean, with lawsuits, sometimes they can take a really long time because they just go back and forth and Mm -hmm. back and forth until someone finally settles, you know? So we don't know yet, but I I mean, I think that maybe perhaps um, there is definitely some weight to this lawsuit against Securitas. I mean, it's just, there are some really good points. For sure. And it's like, they need to cut this family a fat check. Like, you best be paying for that little boy's college. 100%. You best be putting that little boy through college. If yes. they have a mortgage, that better be getting paid off. Mm-hmm. If her husband has any kind of debt, that better be getting paid off. Like, write them a fat check, Securitas, yep. and let's call it a day. Yep. A memorial fund was created in Cassie's name with the money going to multiple nonprofit organizations such as Girls at Work, Outward Bound, Generation T, Big City Mountaineers, and Camber Outdoors, all organizations that Cassie had supported herself or shared her values and passions. A lot of them seemed very outdoorsy. I know she loved skiing, mm-hmm. loved wakeboarding. Mm-hmm. She loved going hiking with her son. So it seems like these organizations just really shared her values. Yeah. The GoFundMe has well exceeded its goal and is no longer active, but in the description of the GoFundMe, it is asked by her brother, Brian, that Cassie be remembered through small acts of kindness, especially on February 9th, the anniversary of her death. I like that. 
He wrote, we all miss Cassie so much, and if you've been thinking of a way to remember her on February 9th, join us by treating the world to a little bit of goodness on that day. Call it Karma for Cassie. Mm-hmm. Have a friend or family member you've been meaning to reach out to, pick up the phone and say hello. Ordering drive through at Starbucks, pay for the car behind you. Shovel a neighbor's sidewalk, donate to a food pantry. Go out of your way on February 9th to make someone else's life a little bit better. Like Cassie herself, it's the little things that can make the biggest impact. That's very well said. That's beautiful. And this was the same brother that told Robert, too. You picked up the phone and you called your mother Yeah. in your time of need. You right. deprived this little boy of that. Yeah. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. Gives me chills. Like, yeah. How, so true and so, oh, so awful. And that is the murder of Catherine Cassie Hepner out of... Timberland in New Hampshire. Just awful stuff. Guys, I desperately want to know what you think. Do you think the security company should be held responsible? Of course, as well as Robert, you know, obviously he was responsible, but should there be some consequence for Securitas? And I definitely, I definitely think there should be. And I agree with you, Katie. A fat fucking check should be written to the, that child and his dad who just lost their part of their family unit you can find us on instagram and twitter at true crime any all lowercase or you can send us an email with your thoughts at true crime any at gmail.com we also have a website true crime you could go to our handy dandy submission tool under our contact page you can be anonymous if you so choose you could leave your name if you so choose and use that to suggest a case based in new england please and if we decide we want to cover your case you'll get a shout out at the top of the episode Thank you again, Mary G and Maddie L for utilizing that website submission tool and suggesting this case to us. Thank you very much. You could also be like our friends Bossy and Lion the Cats and their lovely owner Jacqueline L by scrolling down a little further on that page to our Buy Us a Coffee button. You can click the little square that says thank you and go to our Buy Us a Coffee page. But like we always say, you do not have to spend a cent. You could even donate that money to any of the wonderful organizations that reflect Cassie's values that she has supported herself, maybe a little donation to one of those in honor of Cassie. Yeah. You could also donate really to anywhere. We've donated to a bunch of places in the past, but again, no money has to be involved. Just you guys being here and listening means so much to us. Absolutely. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.